Well, dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 8 are these words. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. I need to let you know that as I share this message with you this morning, I'm going to be giving an invitation for you to respond to at the end. It's going to take some of you a little courage to respond in a positive way to the touch of God's call upon your life. But at the same time, I feel as if that's the direction God would want us to go this morning. Join me in prayer for a few moments. Father, this is my prayer for this congregation, that they would not necessarily see Jim Lowe speaking. But my prayer is this, is that they truly will see you speaking through me. Because if that doesn't happen, then everything that takes place here this morning avails to very, very little. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. I hope that you don't take me as an alarmist when I state that I believe that our nation is drowning in a barrage of sexual immorality. It seems to be everywhere, in music that has become very base, in our literature that say things the likes of which would never have been appropriate in the past years gone by. It's in the television programs that we watch, it's in the films that we watch, and it has become the preoccupation of millions of people on our computers as they turn them on to look at pornography, some of them for hours upon hours upon hours. You see, many of you have already heard the long list of stats that are out there. That's 47% of Christians admitted that pornography was a major problem in their home in a survey that was conducted by Internet Filter Review. of men belonging to a Christian group entitled Promise Keepers admitted that they were visiting pornographic sites every single week. The sex business in America has revenues of more than $10 billion per year, which is more than the combined revenues of all professional football, baseball, and basketball franchises, or the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, or NBC. From 1998 until now, the number of pages of pornography available online has jumped 1,800%, making then more than 260 million pages of pornography that individuals can now access on a computer and look at for hours upon hours. They tell me that the average age of the first exposure to pornography is when a person reaches the age of 11. They also come and tell me that the age group of 12 to 20, that that is the age group where we have the highest consumers of internet porn. A poll conducted by Krista.net.com indicates that 50% of all Christian men and 20% of all Christian women are addicted to pornography. The group defines addicted as applied to pornography as use on a regular basis. Additionally, 60% of the Christian women who answered the survey confessed having significant struggles with lust. 40% of them admitted to being involved in sexual sins in the past year. Specific studies of sexual trends among Christian young people have been limited. But all indications are this, is that on an average, there is little difference between their sexual behavior and that of non-Christian young people other than the tendency to delay their first sexual experience slightly longer. Now, I share these stats knowing that many of you have already heard them before. 
Whereas years ago, the sharing of the statistical numbers that I just presented to you would have shocked those who were listening. Today, many individuals will just sit back, simply yawn, and think to themselves, this is old news. But you need to understand something. The reason I share these stats with you, I share them as a means to remind us that there is a problem. Many today are confused about where the line should be drawn. Can I share this is even true among those who profess to know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior? Listen to the cultural beliefs among many Christian young people concerning what they believe is normal sexual behavior. That although most Christian young females believe that sex equals love, many Christian males believe that sex is not the ultimate expression of the ultimate commitment, but it is a casual activity. Many Christian young people also believe that all young people are having sex, that having sex makes a person an adult, that something is wrong with those between the ages of 17 and 20 who are not having sex, that a girl cannot get pregnant if it's her first time, that a person is a virgin as long as he or she does not have sexual intercourse, and looking at porn is a normal activity. But Christians, you need to listen and comprehend the following words. While sexual purity certainly includes abstaining from sexual intercourse until marriage, it is more than just setting limits on one's behavior. A Christian's view of sexuality does not ask the question, how far from purity can I wander before I have sinned? But rather, a Christian's perspective should guide us towards a purity that is reflected in both our attitudes as well as our actions. That we are not only a society that is literally drowning in a sea of sexual immorality, but many do not even seem to be bothered by it. You see, the sexual revolution which began in the 1960s has led us to the place where absolutes, where standards and rules for sexual behavior have entered into the gray zone. It has caused many to come along and say statements like this, we really don't want to hear the rules anymore. We really don't want to hear preaching about this. We should have a freedom to do whatever we want to do. But dear ones, you need to understand also that the Bible makes it very clear. And there is a firm stance in the word of God regarding Christians needing to live sexually pure lives. And so because of that, this morning, I'd like to share three imperatives that I find inside the word of God. Imperative number one is this, Christian, be not sexually impure, but flee from porneia. You see, the challenge to be sexually pure is nothing new. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, the apostle Paul told believers that they were to run from sexual sin. The Greeks looked down upon the physical body. For them, the soul was the most important part of one's being. The physical body was the part that really didn't matter all that much. Well, this thinking then brought about two separate attitudes. The first attitude was reflected in rigorous asceticism in which everything is done to subject and humiliate the desires and instincts of the physical body. The second attitude carried the idea that since the physical body is not important, one can do with it as one liked. It is the second attitude that prevailed among the Corinthians for both non-believers as well as believers who were part of the church. The phrase that was heard over and over in Christian circles went something like this, all things are lawful unto me. 
They had based their attitude on sexual promiscuity on a false view of Christian freedom. So therefore, the Apostle Paul wrote them to tell them that there really are two great facts of the Christian faith. Number one, a Christian faith, it causes a person to come and recognize that there can, they can be free from sin. And number two, the Christian faith can make a person free not to have to sin. In fact, William Barclay wrote, it's so easy to allow habits to master us, but Christian strength enables us to master them instead. The Apostle Paul wanted the Corinthian Christians to realize that they were not to be slaves to their bodies, but he wanted them to be masters of their bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 6.18, again it reads, flee from sexual immorality. The Greek word that is used for sexual immorality, it is the word porneia. During the days of the Apostle Paul, this word was used to refer to sexual relationships with prostitutes as well as sexual relationships with a variety of partners. It was meant to be focus on the idea of being promiscuous. And so the Apostle Paul uses porneia to mean any involvement in non-married sexual gratification. It speaks of turning something that is meant to be beautiful into something that becomes selfish and very damaging. And so listen to what Paul tells us to do when the temptation of porneia comes. He comes along and he tells us we are to flee from it. Our dear ones, he comes along and states, hey, when you see it coming your way, when the temptation is there, you need to run away from it. Albert Barnes in his commentary stated, there is force and emphasis in the word flee. Man should escape from porneia. He should not stay to reason about it, to debate the matter, or even to contend with his propensities and try to deal with the temptation with the strength of his own virtue. You see, there are some sins which a man can resist, some about which he can reason without danger or pollution. But sexual immorality, porneia, is a sin that a person is safe only when he or she flees from it. Free from pollution only, again, when the person is not willing to entertain a thought of it. Secure only when he or she seeks victory in flight and conquest by retreat. The command to flee is in a present imperative, which means that we are to be in the habit of fleeing without delay or discussion. Imperative number two is this, Christian, be sanctified, follow after purity. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, God wants you to be holy so that you should keep clear of all sexual sin. Then each of you will control your body and live in holiness and honor. The Phillips translation of the Bible reads this way, God's plan is to make you holy, and that entails, first of all, a clean cut with sexual immorality. Or in other words, the characteristics of the sanctified holy life include sexual purity, self-mastery, and self-discipline. For Christians, the question should not be, how far can I go? But the question really should be, how can I best honor God? Imperative number three, Christian, be sure to face the purifier. I need to stand up here, and again, I've shared this in many classes. I'm not proud to do this, but you need to understand is that I, at one time, was addicted to pornography. For me, the addiction began when I was a very young boy. My stepdad was bringing in magazines into our home. He tried to hide it from us. 
He would put them in high up in his closet. But you have to understand is that I was a very, very curious young boy, and I loved to explore. And I can remember the first time getting him to his closet and seeing this whole stack of magazines and taking him down, and it came along, and the title of the magazine was Playboy. I thought to myself, this must be talking about different games that people can play. And so I came along, began looking through it, and I want you to know and hear what I'm saying, because I'm being honest with you. I want you to know my eyes got bigger than my eyes have ever gotten before. And I looked at those pictures there, and I want you to know that before long, those pictures, I began thinking about them day in and day out until they became something that I craved for. I can remember as a high school student walking down the sides of the road looking for magazines that men had thrown out of their cars before they got home and being able to come along and finding stacks of magazines, Playboy magazine, Penthouse. I can tell you that there were times in my life that the addiction became so strong for me that I had learned how to enter into stores where magazines were being sold and was able then to sneak them out without paying for them at all. Dear ones, I had an addiction. But at the same time, I want you to know that when I came to know Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior, I knew that I was supposed to give that up, but I still struggled with it. I was in the military for a while. On Friday afternoons, one of the things we did for enjoyment is that our sergeant would come along and bring in all these films for us to watch. Here I was. I was serving as a youth pastor inside the church. And as I'm there as a youth pastor, I know that I should not be looking at the films that our sergeant was wanting us to watch. They were XXX rated films. And yet I would come to the sergeant and make statements like this. Well, I don't really think I should be looking at these. And the comments I would get from the men went something like this. A man's man looks at stuff like this. And I want it to be a man's man. Can I share? That's a stupid statement. And I can remember then watching those things. And before long, as I began looking at these pictures over and over, Roxy and I had just gotten married. And in the midst of looking at the pornography, I want you to know that I began treating her as an object instead of as a human being. And as I began treating her that way, understand the violence and the physical abuse that began to take place in my family, the way I treated her, that I became very physically abusive to her, to the place that I would just begin punching her out as if she was a punching bag. Now understand, dear ones, I share this with you, not with any sense of pride at all, because I need to give you the other side of the story. I want you to know that there truly is victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to share seven practical biblical thoughts with you. Practical thought number one, you need to face the fact. Admitting begins with grasping the seriousness of sexual immorality, understanding that it breaks the commandment of God, but also knowing that it breaks the heart of the Almighty. For some of you, it is facing the fact that even though you have not succumbed to sexual immorality, the temptation has been there. And sometimes the force of this temptation seems almost unbearable. Can I share something with you? I want you to know that, yes, I can stand here today and tell you I have victory over looking at pornography, but I also want you to know something. The temptation still arrives at different times in my life. There are times at night that the temptation becomes so great that I'm sweating away because I don't want to succumb to the temptation. And hear me again, dear ones, in Jesus Christ, we do not have to succumb to the temptations that come our way. For others of you, it is facing the reality that you have already fallen sexually. 
But I want to give you some hope. Look at 1 Corinthians or 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. I believe that in a way it's a promise for all of us. Listen to what it says. Confess your sins to God and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dear ones, if you have fallen, I want you to know you can come to Jesus Christ. You can come to the purifier and he will forgive. Number two. Face the purifier. The single biggest factor in combating temptations and addictions is to come under the authority and love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. It's turning away in order to be able to turn to. It's turning away from that which displeases God so that then I can turn to look at the cross. And to understand that as I look at the cross, the victory is not in me, it's not in my power, but the victory comes because of the purifier. In fact, can I share, as you and I look at the purifier, we begin to realize that he gives us the Holy Spirit to work within us. If Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, it is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and hear this, self-control. As we depend more and more upon God to see us through each day and each night. And we become more aware of his presence presence moment by moment. We find that over time the magnet of sexual sin loses its strength and its hold upon us. Number three, depend upon the power of prayer. You see, continual prayer really is important to help keep one pure and to help in one's recovery. One of the Christian's greatest weapon against the sin nature and the dangers and temptations of this world is communing in relationship with the Almighty. Number four, read and memorize Scripture. You see, I've discovered that the memorization of Scripture has become an overlooked weapon that should be in every Christian's arsenal. A verse that I recite over and over to myself goes like this, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And not only should scripture memorization become a regular part of one's life as a believer in Jesus Christ, but reading the Bible regularly should also be there as well. Because, dear ones, it is the replacement of negative thoughts with godly thoughts that helps us then to have victory over the addictions or what's going on in our lives. Number five, you really need to get into an accountability relationship. You see, countless Christians who are living victoriously in Jesus Christ have discovered the following. Secrecy is often a Christian's biggest enemy. While confession can bring freedom and release from sinful bondage as well as freedom from the bondage of guilt and shame. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, we are told to pursue purity together. That word together is there to pursue purity together with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. The key element of that verse, it is to do it together in community with others that you can love and trust. The body of Jesus Christ is designed to help us to pursue personal purity in community. Number six, guard your heart. Avoid points of temptation. Understand, this is what I tell students on a regular basis. I have victory over pornography. But at the same time, you need to recognize is that Jim Lowe is not stupid enough then to place himself in situations where the temptation gets really unbearable. I avoid certain places because I know of the weakness inside my life. 
It is a story of Joseph that you find in the Old Testament when Potiphar's wife came to him. And what does he do? The Bible says that he flees away. Learn to run away. Number seven, for those who have fallen, I want you to know something. There really is forgiveness. You see, down through the years, I've observed the tragedy of Christians who have fallen into sexual immorality and how the guilt of failure has swept their life into wasted mediocrity with no or little impact for Jesus Christ. Over and over, I've seen how Satan has used guilt from failure to strip individuals of every radical dream one ever had or might have had for God. One of the things I've noticed is that the evil one seeks to destroy the intimacy of relationship that we can have with Almighty God. John Piper described it this way. It is like Satan taking your 2 a.m. encounter, whether on TV or in bed, and telling you, see, you're a loser. You may as well not even worship. No ways can you make any serious commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. You may as well get a good job so you can buy yourself a big widescreen TV and watch sex until you drop. You've messed up. How can God ever love you? How can God ever use you? Well, dear ones, you need to hear something. Satan is a liar. Because one of the things which I've discovered is this, is that yes, I may have fallen, and yes, I may have fallen into temptation, but you need to recognize something. My God will always love us. Satan is a liar. The chapels this semester seek to focus on relationships. A young man came to my office with tears running down his face and shared, I gave into temptation last night. In a moment of weakness, I gave into porn, and now I feel miserable, and I feel guilty, and I'm just so full of shame. I find it hard to face God now, and I'm sure that God doesn't want me to show my face to him. Can I share this young man has succumbed to the lies of the evil one? And I want you to know that there is a way to deal with the guilt of failure so that Satan does not use it to produce a wasted life. The answer? Face the purifier. Understand that God is able to take the record of all your sins to include sexual failures. And instead of holding these failures in front of your face and using them as a warrant to send you to hell, he puts them instead into the palm of his son's hand and he nails them to the cross. Dear ones, you need to understand that the sins of all who despair of saving themselves and trust in God alone, that's where the victory comes from. You see, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Now, I hope you don't misunderstand me. For if you leave this chapel service saying that Umfundisi has just given us a license to do whatever we want because Jesus Christ has died on the cross, you don't understand what I'm saying. You need to understand that God still requires two things of us before we stand right before his throne. Number one, our sins must be punished. And number two, our lives must be righteous. But you and I, we cannot bear our own punishment and we cannot provide for our own righteousness. And so because of that, God the Father, out of his immeasurable love for us, he provided his own son, Jesus Christ to take our punishment and to provide for our righteousness. 
One of the things I hope that you understand I'm trying to get across, dear ones, if you have fallen, don't stay fallen, but get up. Jesus Christ is there. He wants you to continue on with an intimate, loving relationship with him and understand he will forgive you. And so where do I take this? Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13. Remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will give you a way out so that you do not have to give in to it. Can I share? Those are words of encouragement. Or can I share? I believe that those are words of victory. Listen to it again, another passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, my gracious favor is what you need. My power works best in your weakness. So one of the things that we need to recognize if we want to have victory over porneia is coming to the place of recognizing that we are weak. But dear ones, we serve a powerful God. This is the invitation. On one of my last trips to Cambodia, it was interesting is that Cambodians, they were beginning to get things from Western culture, office supplies. And so one of the things that was happening is they began getting these sticky notes. And so on one of our services, the pastor of the church came along and had a cross. And in the cross, he came along and he had these sticky notes kind of all over for people to write stuff on. And so he came along and told the people, he said, if you really heard the message, and if you really believe that God is all-powerful, and if you believe that God really loves you and God wants to do miracles inside your life, then what I'd, I'd like to invite you then to come off and take off a sticky note and write your name on it and then stick it on the cross as your way of testifying that you're going to trust in the power of God. I'm going to take that invitation and change it just a little bit. I'm not asking people that have fallen to come forward by themselves. But I'm asking for those of you inside this room here that understood the message that I was trying to get across for the Almighty today. And you're willing to come along and state and recognize humbly that I am weak, even in this area of porneia. But I recognize I serve an Almighty God that wants to give me victory. But I know I can't do it by myself. And because of that, I'm going to put my name on this piece of paper or an initial of my name and put my initials there. I'm going to stick it on the cross as my way of saying, I depend upon the victory of Jesus Christ to stay and to be sexually pure. As Dr. Lowe is speaking, um, it's really clear to me, pride, uh, when it reads scripture, when it hears God's word, it it looks around and see how other people can change. That's what pride does. Humility, when it reads scripture, when it's challenged by the word, it asks the question, how can I change? This is humility. It blows my mind to think how many of us can walk up here and put our name on a cross in front of all of our peers. It's pretty bold, isn't it? I think that is what makes your generation so amazing. When people say, can we really change the world? Christ can, with a humble person. That's what makes you guys so amazing that you're willing to 
to humble yourself in front of your friends and walk down and say, I care more about what Christ will do in me than what's in, behind me, what's in the past. I'm willing to change. Bless you guys. Keep fighting for that. Keep that edge. Keep the edge. Father, in your name, I ask that you bless every name on this cross. And as we leave this place, we leave changed. Amen.